I'm here today with Kate Meyer. Kate is a licensed professional counselor, ordained minister, and full-time bereavement counselor. Pretty much every day she works with people experiencing grief and has a command of the topic and how to help grievers. She also knows that churches and Christians in general don't always know how to handle grief, even sometimes doing more harm than good. In her new book titled Faith Doesn't Erase Grief, excuse me, Faith Doesn't Erase Grief, Embracing the Experience and Finding Hope, you'll love what Kate has to say on the church and grieving and how she provides a full guide to navigating grief, something that we all should be better aware of. Kate's also the author of another book called The Red Couch, a novel about past mistakes and a challenge to overcome them. You can learn more about Kate and all of her work at katejmeyer.com. So, Kate, uh, thanks so much for joining us today, and uh, congratulations on all the work that you've done. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Certainly. Um, I think to get started, could you tell us more about your background that I briefly touched on? Sure. Yeah. I, uh, I'm a permanent Wisconsin girl at heart who lives in Michigan. Um, I am married, and we have two chocolate labs who rule the roost. Uh, I was raised in a Christian home in the Reformed denomination, Reformed Church in America, and that's the denomination that holds my ordination. Um, so I am one of the uh, female ordination path students who was blessed to have support all the way around um, and all the way along. Uh, I didn't come across any of those roadblocks um, that many of my my uh, co-sister revs have had. Um, and, you know, writing was kind of this parallel track that I always dreamed about and was equally as afraid to do. Um, I, I explored it a lot more during college. Uh, I didn't know what I was going to do. I assumed I was going to college for youth ministry and I did a, English literature minor, um, and so got to play a lot with writing and, and really just kind of experience that, um, get playful with it, and loved it, but the fear was always a dominant factor for me, <laughs> and so writing has been an ebb and flow throughout my life um, since that time. Yeah. So before we get into your new book, um, can we talk about the previous one? As I mentioned, yeah. it's a novel called The Red Couch. What inspired that? Yeah. This, I think this is really going to resonate with you, Brian. I, um, one of my seminary classmates, as part of his doctoral process, started a group at Western Seminary in Holland called um, uh, Sharing Your Story, Writing... I don't remember the whole thing, but anyway, it was all about spiritual writing, um, taking your faith and applying it into writing. And we were open to write whatever we wanted. So there were people doing memoir, um, just kind of general nonfiction, children's books. And I was one of the ones doing fiction. Um, and that's where the red couch started wow. and it evolved over many, many years, stops and starts, you know, in the drawer. I'm not a fiction writer. I shouldn't do this <laughs> in the drawer, out of the drawer. Um, and really what happened is I was feeling this building need to write the grief book 
Mm. And that was the propel the propeller behind either finish the red couch and get it out there or step away from it Mm. because I I needed to shift my focus. And that motivated me um, to tell the story of Tony Webster and the red couch. And it's inspired by um, kind of a combination of both of my grandma's stories and self-discovery. It's like an adult coming of age, you know, when we think we find ourselves and then that next cycle of finding yourself, right? I think we do that a lot throughout life. But um, so, yeah, it started in a group uh, similar to writing your life. And it it kind of grew over the years. And after several um, traditional rejections, I just said, forget it. And I self-published and a year later, here we are. That's great. Well, yeah. um, we can talk more about this later, but it turns out that the uh, very first Writing for Your Life Writers Conference that we held was at Western Theological Seminary. You're kidding. No, and Barbara wow. Taylor and Rachel Held Evans were the keynote speakers for that. I remember that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so That's, small world. <laughs> small world indeed. <laughs> So let's talk more about the new book. As I mentioned, the title is Faith Doesn't Erase Grief, Embracing the Experience and Finding Hope. So is it your counseling business that really evolved to generate that book or something else? Yeah. As a bereavement counselor, I started to see um, kind of a disturbing trend. So I'm in West Michigan, um, which for those who don't know is is – church heavy (laughs) christian centric um but there was a brand of christianity that i was beginning to see on repeat where these these people were coming in to discuss their grief and would would talk from a place of shame about continuing to feel sad to feel angry to feel um questions of doubt uh that their person had died. And when I would explore that with them, where the source of that, it was consistently this feeling that as a Christian, I should just be happy that my person is in heaven and that as a Christian, I'm supposed to rejoice and choose joy and trust that God has the best in store for me um, to the detriment of experiencing my own emotions. Right. So they were feeling, um, guilt on top of their grief for just trying to experience grief. And the more that happened, the more I knew somebody needs to address this um, because it wasn't out there. It's not in the market anywhere else. Um, so it, it was time. So does the book aimed more at grief caregivers or people experiencing grief or pastors or what, how, how would you see that? I, all of the above. Um, I, I want it, it applies to grievers and to helpers. Um, and that helper category can be a friend. It can be, um, so, you know, another family member. It absolutely, I speak in a few places directly to pastors. Um, because I, I think sometimes when we are ordained, we sometimes overstep our boundary of what we are trained to do. Um, and it's important 
to take into account what we know from psychology, what that teaches us. Uh, and so that's an intentionality of this book is weaving, interweaving what we know of, of God and what we know from psychology and, and how those two actually work really well together. Um, so this is whether you are currently grieving uh, or if you are kind of journeying with somebody or just know that you've had grief in your life and want to learn more about it. That's this book is for you. Hmm. So uh, from a denominational perspective, is primarily Christians. If so, is it more progressive Christians or conservative Christians or um, what, how would you say that it's most appealing? Mm -hmm. um, I did intentionally write it for the Christian community um, because that is my home base and because I've, I've witnessed the harm that's been done and I want to undo it in that community. I do think it translates well across other religions, uh, but it is primarily written for the Christian community. Within that, um, I, I think it extends to whether you want to call it, you know, um, progressive uh, versus evangelical versus conservative, whatever, whatever term we want to put on it. I really want this to be across the board because I think we can swing too far in either direction. Um, and I've, I've, I've heard these phrases from people in every one of those camps. I've heard it from progressive Christians. I've heard it from conservative Christians. And so I think we need to kind of reveal what I believe um, is a, a much healthier and more faithful way to approach grief. So what would you say would be like the most important hope that you have for the book um, and how it impacts people? The both and. That to me is the most important. That grief and faith are not either or, they're both and. That as humans, we are going to experience all kinds of loss, not just death loss. Um, and we have human innate natural reactions. And if we stuff those natural reactions, we do ourselves a lot of harm that can, can expand from emotional harm to cognitive, physical, and spiritual harm. Uh, so if we can learn how to embrace both of those things, to uh, explore a, a, a fullness of faith and the grief together and see that they can coexist, that puts us in a much healthier place. So many books about grief have talked about the different stages of grief. Um, do you have your own flavor of that? Yeah, I narrowed it down to three phases. And I that word phases, I sat with that for a long time. Um, I very intentionally did not want to say stages. Um, A, because of the connection with uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's stages of grief, which um, are wonderful, but are being completely misused. Um, and so I wanted to separate from that. But also because I love the image that phases 
provides, right? That we can phase a kind of a slower transition in and transition out, that they are fluid, that there's not a hard stop and a hard start. Um, you know, there's, there's fluidity here and there's back and forth and um, it's not even really about an end. So the, the first phase I talk about is early grief and then middle grief and the final one being lasting grief. Um, so as to help people understand that in some way, grief is going to be a part of you uh, from, you know, from here on out. It has changed you, and so it's going to be a part of you. Um, and, you know, as I said, there's a lot of different kinds of books on grief. I mean, how would you say that this one is different than some of the other ones out there? Sure. So what I noticed when I was trying to find resources for my clients, if I wanted a Christian-based book, it always took on a devotional flair. Um, or was heaven-centered. Um, if I wanted a, uh, if I wanted the psychology addressed, then I was very rarely, if ever, getting any spiritual input at all. Um, and so that's what's unique about this is that it it provides uh, the the first four chapters of the book provide a foundational kind of a leveling of the foundation so everybody can get on the same place with both Christianity and psychology, just kind of a, let's level it all out, get everybody on the same page. And then the remaining chapters are very intentionally education, faith, examples from scripture, uh, client stories. It's all mixed together. And that's what sets this book apart. It is um, coming from my two equally passionate backgrounds of ordained ministry and licensed therapy, um, merging those two together. So um, I mentioned before that I worked with Frederick Beekner, and uh, one of his most outstanding essays is called The Stewardship of Pain. Mm. And it results from someone coming up to him after one of his lectures where he talked about um, his father having committed suicide and um, you know, how that affected Beekner's life and um, the whole idea that came out of that stewardship of pain was, you know, this guy said, you've been a good steward of your pain. So in your book, do you talk much about what people should do as stewards of their pain? Yeah. Um, so one of those leveling the foundation chapters is on emotions um, because we, you know, when when children are growing up around three or four, we start to tell them to stop having tantrums, right? Like it's it's no longer okay to drop to the floor and stomp your feet and slam your fist and all of those things. But we rarely give an alternative. <laughs> and so we in we we make this weird um, and and essentially harmful connection where the emotion is bad instead of just the expression. And so um, I talk about that's where the word embracing comes from too. That grief is the time of life where 
we actually have to approach pain and endure pain and move through pain. Um, you know, the rest of life we're taught again from that same young age, don't touch that stove. It's hot, hot, you know, hot is pain. Avoid the pain. Um, grief is not that grief is we have to go to the pain and let ourselves experience the pain um, and move through the pain. And so the book provides a lot of guidance on how to do that in a safe and healthy way, giving yourself breaks so that because we can't, we're not created to, to live in that 24 seven, you know, we, we need moments of respite. Um, and so I walk people through that, how to, how to balance that um, in a way that allows for both respite and release of those emotions. So now you have written a fiction and a nonfiction book. How would you compare the process of writing those completely different genres? Yeah, they really are. Um, yeah. Writing the fiction was, was honestly just fun for me. You know, I, um, I, I had this story in my head that I just wanted to tell and it unfolded how it wanted to unfold. I, there were a lot of parts of that novel that I did not predict. They just kind of happened. Um, and, you know, other authors of fiction know exactly what I'm talking about. But um, the nonfiction book, I had a purpose and I had a trajectory and I, I had an idea of how that needed to happen. Um, there for sure are elements of the book that I was not anticipating um, that just came, you know, the more I wrote, the more I realized those things needed to be there. Um, but I, I mapped it out and that was different. You know, I'm not, a, I don't do that. <laughs> I don't usually do that. Do you see any relationship between the two books or not? I do. I did not at first, um, which is weird because, you know, the, the novel starts with um, the death of the main character's grandmother. And she goes on this journey um, where her grandmother continues to speak through letters from beyond the grave. And so, yeah, there's a huge connection <laughs> that I didn't, I, I honestly just didn't see because that wasn't the, the focus of the red couch. I didn't know it was the focus of the red couch. Um, so yeah, it's kind of fun to be able to tell people if you want to see faith doesn't erase grief enacted. The red couch is a, is an example of a way to do that. <laughs> so um, with this book, you're working with a relatively new publishing company called Lake drive books. Can you tell yeah. us about, you know, why you selected them? I, um, we found each other through faith pitch on Twitter, which I think unfortunately is now a thing of the past. And that makes me sad, but, um, you know, I read David Morris is the, um, owner of Lake drive books. And so I, as he was reviewing my pitch, I was kind of reading about his, um, on his website, just about the publishing house. And I liked, um, I was immediately drawn to the fact that this was coming from a place of wanting to represent voices that were different in Christianity. Um, because the entire time I was writing this book, 
I was concerned about, I knew I wasn't going to fit in a traditional Christian publishing house because I, I go outside of some norms. Um, I affirmatively um, speak to the LGBTQ plus community um, and, and talk about how unseen and unvalidated their grief often is and how wrong that is and um, incorporate how their faith can be um, an affirming support in their grief as well. Um, and so, and plus, let's just name it. I'm an ordained woman, and that eliminates me from certain publishing houses. Um, and so, I really was. Uh, that was a an area of of concern for me. Um, so, as I read about David's mission for Lake Drive Books and his desire to raise up these voices that hold to Christ without holding to religious construct um, that can keep God locked in a box. Those are all my words, by the way. I don't know that he really would agree with any of those, but that's how I interpreted what he said. Um, I got super excited. And when we finally started really um, connecting and speaking, it just, it was clear to me that it was the right fit, the right place for this book to be. Good, good. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> now that you've published a couple of books, nonfiction, fiction, what kind of advice do you have for writers who are not as far along on that trajectory? The big one is keep going. You know, I, I started the Red Couch in 2012 hmm. and I or 15. I never remember. But anyway, I didn't publish it until 2021. Um and a lot of that was because I let the fear stop me. So lots of stops and starts. Um, but there was a story that I wanted to tell. And that has to be enough. I think that for writers is big, right? That if, if you start from a place of writing for somebody else, I think we're just always going to be in our head about it. So write for yourself. If you feel called to write something, write it. Um, but then also don't give up on yourself, right? Um, I, I diminished the accomplishment of writing The Red Couch for a long time because I, I only self-published. Um, well, the choice was I can keep pitching agents and keep pitching publishers or I can actually get my book out there. <laughs> and I wanted the book out there and it has been well-received. It's, it's rated well. It's being reviewed well. And I love talking with people about how the story resonates with them and how it impacts them. Um, and the same thing, you know, this grief book, I had those similar anxieties of what if my, <laughs> what if I, what if what I am thinking about how God wants us to think about grief, what if every other person who reads this is just like, where is she coming from? She is so off base. Um, <laughs> But I needed I, I needed to do it. And so I, I put it out there. I followed through and um, you know, I've I've gotten endorsements from people who know what they're talking about. <laughs> um, and that's affirming to me. That's you know, so I think for writers the biggest thing is we have to get out of our own heads. Um I'm a big fan of uh newly new fan of NaNoWriMo, National Novel Writing Month um, in November. 
that for me is a good way just to buckle down and and write the word count every day and just because at the end of that month that's really hard and takes a lot of focus you have a lot of product mm-hmm. um and then it's less daunting you know mm-hmm. so push through keep writing oh that's good that that kind of forcing function has been yeah that effective for you yeah so um i know you're in the midst of launching a new book but can you say anything about future projects or is it too early um there there are things that dancing around in my head um I have promised the readers of The Red Couch that um, book two is in the works, and it it is. It's just not as in the works as I would like it to be. Um, so I'll give that attention next. Um, but I do, I um, I want to do a, a companion Bible study um, for Faith Doesn't Erase Grief. Um, and I'm, you know, I have this thought of, I've done a retreat before on rediscovering your story. Um, And I I feel like there might be a book there just about what is our actual identity in Christ. We throw that phrase around, but what does that mean? And what does it look like to live into that in a way that's actually life affirming instead of um, steeped in shame and guilt and um, life limiting Well, Kate, uh, congratulations again on uh, coming out with a new book. Uh, Again, it's called Faith Doesn't Erase Grief, Embracing the Experience and Finding Hope. And you can learn more about Kate and the book at katejmeyer.com. So, Kate, thanks so much for joining us, and uh, good luck with the book. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Brian. I appreciate it.